Welcome back, warriors. Tensei Sego Anibuju, Quainine de Luizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, practices, laws, and governing structures. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And part of this work includes lifting up the voices of Indigenous peoples in all the places and spaces that they live, work, and celebrate. I'm really excited to present today's podcast. It was actually a very special event that was hosted by ACAST, an amazing independent podcast company that supports diverse podcasters. On November 3rd, 2021, I had the amazing honor to guest curate and host A-Class Indigenous Voices, a panel discussion with some of my favorite Indigenous podcasters from Canada and the United States. Thank you so much, ACAST, for hosting us and for allowing me to share this podcast. So, without further delay, here is our full A-Class Indigenous Voices panel discussion. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You guys can hear me out there okay. My name is Vernon Foster. I'm on the content development team here at ACAS. And uh, I'm so happy that you have decided to join us. Uh, before we get started, uh, just a little bit about ACAS, and then I'll introduce our creator and moderator for today. Uh, ACAS was founded in 2014 and is one of the most eminent podcast platforms and a pioneer of the open podcast ecosystem connecting podcasting, podcasting stakeholders. Uh, to a common software infrastructure. Through that infrastructure, ACAS allows advertisers to effectively target, engage uh, audiences, and listen through ad insertion while podcasters are given access to a range of monetization opportunities and the necessary tools um, that they need to expand their listener base. The company has a global footprint across 12 countries and during 2020 had approximately, check this out, 3 billion listens on ACAST Connected Podcasts. Today, ACAST hosts more than 30,000 shows. And uh, I'd like to take this opportunity now to introduce our guest curator and moderator, Dr. Pamela Palmiter, who is uh, a Mi'kmaq lawyer and member of the L Bar First Nation. She has four university degrees, including a doctorate in law focused on indigenous law. And she is, and she currently holds the position of full-time professor and chair at Ryerson University. She is the producer and host of two indigenous podcasts, Warrior Life and Warrior Kids Podcast. Please allow me to introduce you to our curator uh, and our moderator today, Dr. Pamela Palmer. Hello, Kwe, Tansei, Sego, Ani Buju. Hello and bonjour, everybody. Kwe Nindaluizi Pam Palmeter. My name's Pam Palmeter. I am a Mi'kmaq lawyer, professor, and podcaster. And my Warrior Life podcast helped lift the voices of Indigenous land defenders all over Turtle Island and reach out to kids on the Warrior Kids podcast to celebrate everything Indigenous. I have the great privilege to chair today's event, the first ever ACAST podcast masterclass featuring 
amazing Indigenous podcasters. The panel is called Seen and Heard Indigenous Storytelling Through Podcasting from Beginner to Expert. And we all know that the podcast industry is growing rapidly. There's more shows, more creators, and a million more opportunities than ever before. As of 2021, there were more than 2 million podcasts and over 48 million podcast episodes and about half of all homes in the U.S. and about 40% of all homes in Canada love podcasts and those numbers keep growing. While the majority of podcast listening is done at home, more and more Americans and Canadians are taking their podcasts to the gym, on walks or while driving to work. And many of our podcasts now are even being used in classrooms. Now is the time for the podcast community to come together to help ensure that Indigenous voices are amplified, our stories are told, and Indigenous cultures are celebrated. The aim of this session is to give new Indigenous podcasters or anybody who wants to start podcasting a space to learn from others who've done so already and help give them some firsthand tips. So this is how the podcast session is going to go over the next 60 minutes. First, I'm going to introduce our amazing panelists, then we'll get right into our conversation, and we'll save some time at the end to answer some of the questions from you in the audience that you might have about podcasting, and then we'll have to close our event sharp right at the end. But first, don't forget, if your mics are on, mute them and click the three dots in the corner in case you want to just have a profile view of what's going on and you can hide all the non-video participants. So let's get right into it. Now, today's Indigenous podcasters are hardcore rocking podcasts right now. Our first guest is Ryan McMahon. He is phenomenal. He's an Anishinaabe comedian, writer, media maker, and community activator from Kutiching First Nation, which is in Treaty 3 territory. He's the founder and CEO of McCoon's Media Group, Ryan brings Indigenous stories to light through conversations, research, and investigation. He provides all of his audiences with in-depth and challenging analysis of the Indigenous experience and the reconciliation movement. He inspires audiences to play their part in building a more equitable country. Some of Ryan's work, and I'm saying just some of his work, is the Thunder Bay podcast on Canada Land, Stories from the Land podcast on the Indian and Cowboy Podcast Network, and the Red Man Laughing podcast. And he does so much more. And if that wasn't amazing enough, we also have the indomitable Phelan Johnson. Phelan is Mohawk and Tuscarora from the Bear Clan, from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. She's a writer, podcaster, and radio host. Her plays include Salt Baby, Two Indians, and Ipperwash, for which she received a Dora nomination. Her writing has been featured everywhere. It's in The Brick, The Canadian Theatre Review, 
Grant a Magazine, just to name a few. And she's also written for Urban Native Girl, one of my favorites on APTN, and Merchants of the Wild, APTN, Aboriginal People's Television Network, and the 2020 Inspire Awards on CBC. No wonder she was named One to Watch in 2020 by Maclean's Magazine. She hosts The Secret Life of Canada on CBC Podcasts with Leah Simone Bowen, and she's also guest hosted on The Amazing Unreserved, Day 6, and Q All on CBC Radio 1. She's literally doing so many things. I don't know how they do it all. And rounding out our incredible panel is Natalie Welch. Natalie Welch, or as some of you might know her, Dr. Nat, is originally from Cherokee Indian Reservation in the mountains of Cherokee, North Carolina, and a proud member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. She grew up with a love for sports and realized early on how it could foster a sense of community on the res. Being passionate about education, she decided to attend the University of Tennessee, the University of Central Florida, where she was lucky enough to study under Dr. Richard Lapchick, Dr. William Sutton, and Dr. Keith Harrison, who further instilled the power of sport for social good. Her professional experience expands across marketing and media, having worked for some of the biggest brands, including Nike or Nike, however you choose to pronounce it, Coca-Cola and P&G. She is currently the host of the Creative Native podcast and on a creative endeavor to promote and serve the Native American community with creative stories, strategies, and solutions. Her podcast celebrates the coolest Native American athletes from all over Indian country. I can't thank you all enough for joining me today. I don't know how I got this chair gig, but it is pretty incredible for me to be with all of you. Welcome to the panel, everybody. Thanks, Pam. So great. Hi, Pam. That's awesome. Nice well, thanks for thanks for coming. Um, you know, we've we've done this brief introduction. I know you all do so much more amazing work, but let's just start out with a little introductory question. Um, maybe we'll start with you, Ryan. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how you got into podcasting. Like, what about the podcast platform appeals <coughs> to you? And maybe talk about some of the podcasts that you work on. Yeah, it's nice to be here uh, with familiar uh, faces, uh, some of the people that I really, really uh, respect in this space who work hard uh, to uh, self-publish and to bring these voices out to the people. So it's nice to to share this time with you. Um, I started podcasting before <laughs> podcasting was cool. Uh, and in fact, uh, the Apple podcast directory, directory was barely a thing. Um, I uh, uh, bought a laptop to go to law school uh, back in 2008 at the University of Manitoba, and I stumbled across uh, GarageBand on a, on a crappy old MacBook. And, um, and from there, I found the little purple button that was shaped like a head that allegedly <laughs> represents podcasting for some reason. And I hit it, and then I saw the audio meter start to jump uh, inside the program, and I was like, what the hell is that? And then I noticed it was recording me, and uh, the rest is history. And so <clears throat> for me, uh, as, a, as a comedian and as a writer back uh, when I was starting, um, self-publishing was a chance for me to get a jump on 
uh, really sharpening my tools and getting getting a chance to say the things I wanted to say the way I wanted to say them. And and um, you know, back at that time, there just there just wasn't a lot happening for us. Um, we're living in a time now where. There are more opportunities for Indigenous creatives to work on film and television, uh, theater, comedy, um, and uh, um, to make money, uh, to have jobs, to have a career. Back then, not so much. Uh, we were still kind of hung over from the Dances with Wolves uh, uh, and Last of the Mohicans uh, phase of our, of our uh, popular culture. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I was an actor that didn't look like Adam Beach. And so I wasn't very castable and I had to find a way to make creative work and podcasting was it. And uh, really that's how, that's how I got started uh, all those years ago. That's incredible. What, what about you, Phelan? I mean, how did you get into podcasting and, and what about it really appeals to you? Well, I was an actor who didn't look like Tina Keeper, no? Um, that's kind of it. Like, that's kind of it. It's really like, I, I went to school for theater. I studied theater. I went to be an actor, got out of school, and then promptly went to go work in retail. Um, did a bunch of, you know, jobs that had nothing to do with storytelling, really. But then I started doing a bit of writing. Um, I started working with theater companies. And, but I, you know, I knew as an actor, I was never really going to make it because at that time, the perception of what we looked like uh, and the, the diversity of what we look like was not really out there. And so I knew I wanted to tell stories, though. And so theater was an entry point for me. So I started writing plays um, and they started to, you know, get produced. And I had some success with that. And that was great. And then uh, one day I was in a coffee shop with my friend Leah Simone Bowen and she said, uh, we should start a podcast. And I was like, OK. Because I was really poor at the time. Those were my ramen years, as I call them. I wasn't making any money. Um, and I was just saying yes to things that I was interested in or scared or scared me. Because I think that if you travel down those avenues, that's where you're going to find the things, uh, the work that you're probably supposed to be doing, the work that'll challenge you. And so we started a podcast. We had no idea what we were doing, no training. We hadn't gone to journalism school. We hadn't even gone to law school or, or attempted to go to law school. We had no idea what we were doing. We were not lucky enough to fall into a producer who knew the technical side of things. We had the storytelling side of things, but we didn't have the technical side. Um, and so we self-produced the first uh, couple of seasons and then CBC approached us and we were the first podcast acquired by the CBC. So in a lot of ways, we feel like we snuck in the back door. We, you know, like no. And and then we wandered around and we had no idea what was going on ever. Um, and then slowly we've just been insidiously making our way into different avenues in the CBC wherever we can. Um, but I think that, you know, what I, because I know that it's, this, this is a growing field. Uh, podcasting is this, it's exploding in the, and it's so awesome. And it's such, you know, the technology is now becoming more and more user-friendly. It's open to everyone. Um, you know, if you have an internet connection, which I know not everybody does, um, or a smartphone, but there's, there's better access to getting our stories out there. And so for me, you know, whenever I meet someone who's a young storyteller, no matter, you know, or an emerging storyteller, whatever that means, um, I tell them to pursue it because it seems like, you know, the tools are there to get our, our words and our stories out there. And and so I, I, I think anyone can come to it in an unconventional way, because I feel like the way that I came to it was pretty unconventional. Well, I love it. Ryan found a button. 
you just happened into it. What about you, Natalie? Did you see the wave of the future of podcasting? How did you get into it? I'd like to think that I was like a, a you know a, an early adopter, uh, but I I just have to say again that I'm just so honored to be here, and it's so cool to see people that I'm used to having in my ears. So it's really <laughs> it's really nice, and um, uh, thank you for this space. But yeah, I I have really distinct memories. I was actually working at an advertising agency at the time, and I have really distinct memories of like going on my lunch break and like walk, keep and keeping on my lunch break because I was listening to this new podcast called Serial. It was like this whole new, it was like the kind of the, the thing at the time. It was like kind of one of the big groundbreaking uh, pieces of like, of podcast media. And so, um, and it just really opened my eyes. I'm like, wow, the story, like you, you don't have to have, I was doing a lot of production work and I was like, well, you don't always have to have the video, you know, you can just have the audio. And so I had um, cobbled together, you know, some, some minimal, minimal production skills at the time and just thought, you know, like, man, I got, I have stories I want to tell. So, um, and I was always too really interested in, I loved interviewing and talking to people and like just having conversations. And so that was another big piece for me was like, okay, I can use this platform to have conversations and, um, you know, just have this and put it out into the world. And I feel like that's one of some of my favorite podcasts is when I just get to like, kind of just feel like you're with friends and you're getting to be a part of their conversation. And so um, that was when I kind of started, it, it ebbed and flowed throughout because I actually went back to school and, um, and then now I've switched professions entirely. And I am a professor and I actually uh, just started doing a freshman writing class and they basically told us like, do what you want with it. And so I made mine about sports and I I, one of their assignments they just had was to do a podcast script and to think about, you know, how would you tell a story um, over audio podcast? So it's it's been cool to see just the the rapid, rapid growth and kind of like Ryan and, and Fallon mentioned too, just the these spaces for more Indigenous peoples um, to get involved in, you know, things like social media that kind of have connected us has been um, really great to see. And like, it's, I mean, I think I've seen like three new Indigenous podcasts come up just this week so it's it's super exciting and it's just um just not enough time like not enough walks and not enough commute time <laughs> to listen yeah. to, to listen to that's awesome and and honestly there seems to be a trend here it's really just you know there wasn't space for us a long time ago in all of these entertainment industries and podcasts are like hey m- maybe i can try this maybe i can have a conversation and i can make it 15 minutes or 50 minutes or five hours, I can make it a serial. I can talk about whatever I want. I can talk about UFOs if I want to. I mean, there's literally no limit. And all of you have embraced that in such amazing ways that are like having a conversation at home on the res with your family. Or it's also like educational and entertaining. That's what I love about it. You can just make it whatever. Or you can just become a dynasty like Ryan McMahon. Ryan McMahon, (laughs) why are you doing a billion podcasts? How did you get into the the network or the industry of it. I mean, to go from like, oh, look, I found a button and I can record myself to, hey, let's just produce a whole bunch of podcasts. Yeah, well, Indian and Cowboy was basically a response to the podcasting space as it started to become an industry. And um, I had already had a successful podcast. Red Man Laughing was um, adapted into a national comedy special with the CBC. And um, as my platform grew uh, as a result of that, and I was touring uh, the podcast live, I thought, well, 
first of all, I think indigenous people are the most innovative uh, people on the planet. We've had to be. It's how we're still here. We come up with solutions very quickly. Uh, we're willing to experiment. We're willing to fail because we know our community has our back. And so for me, I was touring my podcast long before any of these dorky comedy podcasts that sell out massive theaters nowadays uh, uh, were doing it. I was touring my podcast in 2009 and 10 and 11. Um, and just because I knew like I knew that that um, the podcast could be an extension of my work, but it, maybe more importantly, it could make space. And Pam, you were on my podcast very early during I Don't Know More in 2012. And it was a result of chiefs storming parliament uh where we noticed that the mainstream media was failing and so i just turned on a live stream service and turned over my podcast feed over to the community and that for me was the was the beginning of the idea that we needed more producers out there we needed more people uh in the space to grow the space because the need was right in front of us and so it needed a cowboy came as a result of, of, of uh, as a response to the fact that the space was dynamic, the barrier to entry was relatively low, and there weren't enough of us out there. And as I started to mentor and teach and train people uh, in this um, space, uh, I noticed that the interest was there and, and that people really loved si sitting and telling stories. And um, I've not reached my goals uh, yet with Indian and Cowboy. I've not reached my goals in the podcasting space. And I don't think Indigenous creatives should be comfortable with where we are right now. We have so much potential in this space. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, the one uh, one example I'll use is like uh, language, language teaching, language uh, retention and language sharing. Uh, most indigenous communities I've ever traveled to, and I've traveled to hundreds of them, most of them have some form of radio going on in their community. There's always a radio on in the kitchen. Uh, we should be creating, producing podcasts in indigenous communities to teach our languages and putting that podcast over the radio waves. And, <clears throat> you know, through Indian and Cowboy, we've trained many, I think close to I, I, I've lost count, but I think close to 43 or 44 communities uh, on how to podcast in an effort to create um, uh, language podcasts for their community. And uh, we're just going to keep doing that. Like our, on our publishing side, we're quiet right now um, because we put more into apprenticeships, more into uh, uh, hosting um, uh, workshops uh, than we've been uh, actually producing podcasts. But we are recentering our, our efforts back onto publishing now that there is this large influx of, of uh, Indigenous creators out there, and we want to do more to support them. So it was just a response. It was just a response to the need. I was at a giant podcast festival in New York City. I won't name the festival. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, you're doing a BIPOC panel on podcasters, and there aren't Indigenous people here. Uh, you don't even know whose territory you're on. You know, this is a diversity panel with no Indigenous representation. And so I just started telling everybody, Indian and Cowboy is an Indigenous network for Indigenous people. We're not the only ones. There are many other people out there doing this. But uh, it made me angry. So as you know, I have a bad attitude and uh, a do-it-myself <laughs> kind of mentality. And that's what, that's what Indian and Cowboy is. That's so awesome because, of course, it's all your work. That made me wonder, hey, I wonder if I can find the button and find a podcast. Ryan's doing it and he's doing amazing. And what a way to lift up voices. I mean, it's just 
And what you said really struck me, the whole, it's like res radio. So any of us who have ever been to a res, lived on a res, you listen to the radio and sometimes, you know, the radio host is up there just talking about the birds and, and the weather for like two hours. And you're thinking, you know, it's, it's interesting and it's funny and they have all these little picadillos and it's like, wait a second, podcasting could just be res radio for us. I'm glad, I'm glad you went with birds in the weather and not birds in the bees. Cause I've heard <laughs> I that on res radio too. <laughs> I stopped myself. I was like, okay, I can't divulge all of our secrets, <laughs> but the, here's the really cool thing, you know, to follow up to that. A lot of native podcasts are now being hosted on Res Radio for that very reason, because we're having these conversations. Now, Natalie, uh, you know, the last episode I listened of yours, you open up with, we get to talk to this really cool baller, you know, she's really awesome. And here's the thing she's doing. And like in the first 10 seconds, I'm already inspired because I know you're going to be talking to a really awesome person that's in the sports industry. You know, you always focus on Indian country. What what made you focus on all of these inspiring, amazing people? Yeah, I honestly, I was just, it was just kind of a way, it was kind of just an excuse for me to kind of fangirl and be like, hey, come on my podcast. Like, you know, and and it's it's funny to to think of it that way but it does kind of open a door um and an outlet for you to instead of just maybe being kind of uh creepy and just being like hey I just want to know you but like hey come on the podcast and and one of the things Ryan made me think about too is like you know and I, I still don't really know what the kind of the metrics are on my on my podcast like it's not like you know so most of social media where it's immediately like you have 500 likes or something like that but what has really um inspired me is just having people like people and like randomly kind of be like oh I, I love your podcast or people that I know really well um who I would think didn't listen at all and they're like they'll come and have good feedback and then most of the time people recommend someone else to have on the podcast and so it snowballs into this like kind of community and um oftentimes too I I'm a big proponent of repeating guests too and having them back to kind of update what's been happening and um yeah it's really just kind of an outlet for me to kind of fangirl out and um get to have these conversations with folks who I look up to and for me sport has been such a uh, a life changer in my life. And, um, and it goes way beyond everything that happens on the field. It's more of what's off the field and the, the impact you can have in your community and, um, the impact you can have, especially in indigenous communities, because there is such a passion, you know, we all know res ball and all these things. And so it's, it's a way, and it's a vehicle for so many people to, um, get an education or to just better, better themselves all around. So I, I love looking at it from, from that lens and looking at people are just honestly people that I look up to and um, think that other people would love to hear from. And think of the space you're filling. I mean, in history, our history is full of hardcore kick butt native athletes who did well in every sport and Olympics and everything else. And they were never given their due. They were never celebrated in their time. And here we are now, you, you are literally celebrating these people and showing our kids, look at all these inspiring people that we have to, to look up to and learn from and share our stories. I mean, it's, it's a real incredible thing that you do. And I think, you know, obviously long overdue, especially in sports, because we have such amazing people in sports. And then Phelan, 
how on earth did you come up with the secret life of Canada? I can only imagine because there is like the Canada that everyone thinks there is. And then there's the secret life of Canada. What, what was your inspiration for that? Yeah. And the other thing is I had to always trip over like, cause I don't call myself Canadian. So that was like a whole other thing within it, but it just like the title encapsulated something about what we were trying to do. And so Leah Smombo and my podcast partner and co-creator of Secret Life of Canada, in that conversation, in that coffee shop where we were talking about starting a podcast, we we both as playwrights leaned toward historical information. I, you know, a lot of the work that I did as a playwright um, looked at, you know, our people, the people who came before, those stories, those stories that weren't heard. Um, and Leah, you know, being a black Canadian. She had those stories too. And we had all those traumatizing memories that I think a lot of um, maybe non-settler people do, non-white people in Canada about history class or about class in general, where you are confronted with racism and the teacher's telling you something about who you are and your history. And you feel really like, well, that's the teacher. So the teacher's supposed to be right about this. So I must be wrong. And I just thought, you know, this was a way that we could offer an alternative perspective. We could offer some real facts to people um, and challenge. And also not only that, but offer a resource to teachers. We didn't really start out thinking that it would be that, but it, it teachers started using it. So then we had to stop swearing. Um, <laughs> and sort of, you know, change our, change our tone slightly in parts, but we knew that, you know, there was an opportunity for us to address some of the things that we had come up against when we were kids in school you know, like uh, I tell the story all the time, but one of my early memories of being in a history class in grade five was my substitute teacher standing at the front of the class saying when I, or when the white man came to Canada, Indians ran around naked. And I remember sitting there going like, is this, and looking, cause there were other native kids in my class. Cause this was in Brantford. So there's like other native kids there. And I remember being like, is this true? <laughs> I'm like, have you heard about this? And I went home and I talked to my dad and my dad was like, no, that's not true. But he didn't do anything about it. Right. So there's, I think we're, we continue to progress into these places where people are willing to listen to us a little bit more. And so I, that's why I'm always like, if you've got a story to tell now, let's tell the story now. Cause like we have a little bit of, we've got this space right now and we have this medium that really allows us to to offer these things, things that people kind of want to hear, you know, the stories that people are are willing to listen to, which surprises, it surprises me a lot sometimes, you know, we did an episode on Ipper Wash and there was somebody who wrote to us on social media and he said, um, I had no idea. I grew up when, when, when this standoff was going on and I had no idea about the back history of it, that it went back, you know, that it went back to World War II that this is the history of, you know, this is the seeds, you know, we see the flashpoint in the media and the newspapers of, of, of the thing that happens and the thing that explodes and the, the standoff at Oka and face to face, but we don't ever look at what happened before. And so for us, we were like, let's take a look at all of those moments that led to this thing that everybody thinks is the thing that we're talking about. Cause this isn't the thing. The thing starts way back there. And when you give people the context for that in a way that isn't, I don't know, that is mixed with Britney Spears, you know, because that's the thing we try to do is balance like some humor and lightness in it so that people don't shut down. And also we're not re-traumatizing the people who lived through those experiences. Mm -hmm. So it's a delicate balance. But, you know, I think giving people 
at least giving people the information so they can, if they decide to be racists after that, then, you know, then they're well-informed racists. (laughs) (laughs) They don't really have many excuses after that. And the other thing is that it's like the educational part of podcasts. Podcasts can be entertaining. I mean, a lot of people tune into podcasts because they want to turn off, you know, something else, but it can be educational at the same time. And I think what you're doing is filling this major gap of Indigenous voices telling our stories based on facts, not propaganda, not whitewashed, and that pun is actually intended, um, but really it's it's from our voices. And I guess I'd, you know, I'd really love to hear from all of you, you know, how important you think it is that we continue to fill these spaces. I mean, it was, you know, the art and entertainment industry, and then it became YouTube and then social media. Now it's podcasting and who knows what metaverse other thing we're going to be doing in the future. But how important is it that you think that we encourage other people to get in here, that it's, you don't have to be rich and famous to be a podcaster, but it's our voices that matter the most. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think, I think that, um, uh, getting into this space is is important. I, I encourage people to do so with a bit of a plan, uh, though. You know, the 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 full like full. Uh, I'm I'm not, I'm going to uncle you up a little bit here and just tell you that um, everyone's excited to podcast until it's time to podcast. <laughs> and um, uh, recording a podcast uh, takes time. Uh, uh, editing a podcast takes time. Uh, publishing a podcast takes time, and then you know, uh, uh, distributing it, um, uh, getting it out into the world takes time. And so, uh, I think uh, uh, last year uh, I read a, a report that said close to eighty percent of all podcasts on on Apple Podcasts have uh, four or fewer episodes because people get tired and they quit. And so, um, I think it's really important to to have a bit of a plan, set some really really achievable goals. And be happy with uh, uh, the process of making a podcast and not necessarily the product. The first thing you make is probably not going to be that great. Uh, I thought my first season of Red Man Laughing was groundbreaking and hilarious and amazing. I would pay a million dollars to scrub that thing off the internet because it's not that great. Um, so set your goals, you know, and and understand that the process needs to be as enjoyable as the product. And I think... Uh, you know, process over product for me is the way I work in all creative endeavors. Enjoy the process of finding people to talk to, enjoy that conversation, enjoy revisiting it in the edit and enjoy people uh, listening to it. My first uh, season of, of my podcast, you know, I was getting 11 downloads. I was getting 25 downloads and I was like, holy shit. I think my mom listened to this 11 times. This is, <laughs> thanks mom, you know? Um, but, uh, and then I go to something like Thunder Bay, which is now in the, in the, in the millions of downloads. And so like, you know, I was just as happy with the 11 downloads as I am with the, the millions. And really it is just about enjoying, uh, the act of making the way it, 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 it empowers your voice and your community. And ultimately the way you get to determine, um, 
um, the story you want to tell. We become the story we tell ourselves. And Indian a Cowboy, the, the name of the company, is a tip of the hat to that, right? Cowboys and Indians told the world who we are for 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 a hundred years. Um, Hollywood was built on the backs of dead Indians. And, you know, by reclaiming that, we are now telling the world who we are. And so enjoy that because that's really at the end of the day what it's about. If you can scale and advertisers want to start looking at you um, and you have a good um you have a good podcast idea and you pitch to someone like CBC or someone else and they want to pick it up and help you make it, that's great. But that doesn't have to be your goal. Um, that is not the only way to podcast. So um, have a bit of a plan. Make make your goals uh, very achievable and, and, and enjoy that process. That's really good advice. And what about you, Natalie? What kind of advice do you have for, you know, Indigenous peoples or anybody who's listening and they're like, oh, that just sounds like so much fun. I want to be on Res Radio podcasting too. What kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think too, kind of going off so many Ryan's good points of like not also just not being afraid to fail. And like, I think uh, I, I see it a lot in young people. It's like, they want everything to be perfect on the first time. And, and so like do some kind of, you know, some demoing, do some kind of practice runs and, you know, play around with it and, and don't be, don't think that the first thing you do has to be perfect. You know, it doesn't have to be the final product and um, really play around with that space. And, um, and don't be afraid to, to ask for help. I think um, a lot of a lot of people are happy to help out and give advice and even just collaborate too. I know um, several friends who have had the interest and they just didn't quite have the, and having a partner, someone to keep you accountable, I think is really, really helpful. I don't have that. And that's why I always joke that my podcast kind of runs on Indian time. Cause like I'll have like <laughs> three episodes in a month and then I won't have any for like a half, you know, six months or whatever. So I think having someone to kind of keep you accountable and like Ryan said, like having a plan and like a schedule, and um, I think that's kind of uh, really, really a great way to go about it. But asking for help and also just not being afraid to fail and give it, give it a shot for sure. Because um, you know, there's always there are there's always an, a new day to to do another podcast. Yeah, and and everyone has to start somewhere. Oh my goodness, I you know I I feel like Ryan and my first couple of podcasts is like ooh cringy, but I just left it there. I figure other people will look at it and go, oh she does that. I can do my own podcast. So what about you, Phelan? I mean, you have done the partnership thing. You've gone with this idea. It's now you know, and you approach CBC. I mean, what kind of advice do you have for aspiring podcasters who might want to take that particular route? You know, I wish I could offer better advice for this because that's like one of the number one questions I get asked is like, how do I pitch? Like, how do I pitch to CBC? And I'm like, I have no idea because we snuck in. I do feel like we snuck in in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, you know, they expressed some interest in us, but we had no idea what the hell we were doing, really. Um, And so by the time that we could like we had to go back to them because it was kind of like that thing where like kind of felt like high school where I think they asked us out on a date, but we misread the cues. And then like a couple of months later, we're like, wait a minute, was that what I think it was? Um, And it was, and then we had to negotiate. And then we, you know, we were in a place where we knew that, you know, we, we, we could talk to them and that they seemed willing to go with us on our, like on what we wanted to do. And they really had like, 
you know, being an acquisition, I think was really lucky for us because we got to maintain the way that we worked. We were a unit when we went in and we played by our own rules. Like we did the thing that we wanted to do the way that we had been doing it, because that's the way that we had been making the thing, which was really, really fortunate. Um, I think like advice that I think of for pitching is just if you're going to pitch to to something like a place like CBC or maybe, you know, in the States, like you're going Gimlet or you're going big time, I think have a you have to have your tape ready. Um, an idea is great, but have some tape ready to demonstrate that you can do it. Have an outline of what you think that season's going to be. If you can have like three episodes, three episodes, maybe a lot, depending on what you're making. Have a couple of episodes in the bag to demonstrate that you know that you can do it. You can pull off the product. Have have the rest of the season or series or whatever it is sketched out, who you're going to talk to, what the talking points are, you know, what the sound design is going to be like. Um, You know, you got to think about your logo art. You got to think about your social media presence. You got to think about how often you want to be on social media doing those things because that stuff is not fun. Thank God for Leah, who does most of the social media, because I just I can't. so there's a lot of things that you have to think about, right, To if you're going to be putting together a pitch package. But the thing that I, I don't know, my advice aside from that is don't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, because, yeah, that perfection that Natalie was talking about, I think, can be a big deterrent um, for, for a lot of us, right? But I think you learn so much from making mistakes. And I do think, you know, I think that the, the I have found thus far that the indigenous podcasting community is incredibly generous um, and supportive and, you know, and we're always willing to talk to each other and support each other's work and listen to things. And I think that that if you, you know, if you get to a place where your, your work starts to, you know, gain traction and be listened to and you have an audience, I always think that there is a responsibility for that mentorship piece and for championing, championing other people and making sure that, you know, that the field is growing. Cause I cannot tell you there's, there's not enough of us yet. There is not enough of us yet. The number of things that I want to do that I have to turn down that break my heart. <laughs> like, and I, so I'm like, I'm just like bugging a bunch of people now and I'm like sending emails to people and I'm just making sure that I bring people into the fold because, because mm-hmm. there's there, we just, yeah, we need more of us. So mentorship, which I know is a word that has been used a few times, but I feel like mentor. Oh, and don't read the comments if it's going to hurt your feelings. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you don't have like that is like, yeah, I do because I'm mean to myself. Also, I came from theater, so I'm used to reading reviews about how Phelan Johnson had a screechy performance. <laughs> These things stay with you. Um, but yeah, don't read the comments if you can't handle that heat, because that can really be hard if it's uh if you can't uh, if you don't have the skin for that. Yeah. I, 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 and I really like all, like the combination of all of this advice, you know, it really sticks with me. Like don't chase perfection. You know, that's good Phelan and, and Natalie, you know, it's don't be afraid to fail or what you think is failure. And, and Ryan's like, you gotta, you gotta love it. Just if you are in love with the process, don't be doing it for someone else. Uh, my mistake was as a lawyer, I thought I'm going to watch every YouTube video on how to do podcasts. I'm going to read every statistic. I'm going to listen to every podcast that says how to make podcasts. What's the best timing? What's the best style? How to promote it? And I was so busy doing that, that my first couple of podcasts are really short and weird and felt magazine-y. And I was like, huh, that's not what I want to do. 
I just want to talk to people. I want to talk to cool people doing cool things and, and have this, you know, res conversation. And so once I started doing that, then it was like, oh, this, this is what I do. And I love it. And I stopped worrying about, well, it should only be 20 minutes because what if someone wants to pick it up and then it can fit in with commercials. And then it's like, if I want to have an hour and a half conversation with a land defender, I'm doing that. Or an elder who has incredible stories to talk about that has nothing to do with the topic that we're even talking about. That's what makes me feel good. And clearly, if you're doing stuff that makes you feel good, there's going to be other people that like what you're doing. Because people wanted alternatives to radio and TV. Nobody's looking for radio copy edit. They're looking for weird, quirky, different that speaks to everybody. So I just love this advice that you have. Um, and, and I know that one of the most common questions I get, and that's why I'm going to pose it to all of you before we head to audience questions, is people always want to know what you think was the most significant challenge for you as a podcaster, and what did you do to kind of overcome that challenge? And, you know, um, Phelan, maybe we'll start with you this time. Um, I think not. I mean, at first it didn't bother me. I think <laughs> It's interesting. Like when I, when I, when we first started working on the thing, I was like, I don't know how to do this, but that's, you know, I'm, I've done lots of things that I don't know how to do and just sort of gone for it. Um, but I think once I got into the CBC, I was like, Oh, I'm not a journalist. And like, I don't know what I'm doing here and I don't belong here and imposter syndrome. Right. Like, I think that's the thing that comes up for a lot of indigenous people or a lot of people. Um, and I think for me, the thing that I have, um, I think the thing that's helped me overcome it is just going, doing the work. You do the work, uh, you talk to like, you find these stories and you like, and you nerd out so hard on them. And the research takes you down these intense rabbit holes and you find these stories that you know that people don't know that aren't out in the world in the way that they should be. Like I think of um, this guy I talked to for our we did an we did a two part episode because my episodes kept turning into two parters last season because I just kept getting obsessed with things. But and I talked to um, this guy named um, John Moses and his dad was uh, Russ Moses and he was the he worked for Indian Affairs and during Expo sixty seven he worked at the Indian Pavilion and um, while he was working at the Indian Pavilion he went he broke the rules and he planted a plot of corn. And Expo 67, right, everything is very regimented and, like, the landscaping is contracted out to a specific company. And his, like, active resistance, even though he worked for Indian Affairs, right, all those complications, he planted this plot of corn and he handed out the corn to all of the hostesses at the Indian Pavilion, but also to members of Indian Affairs. And to me, I was like, that story is just like, I'm like, that is too good. And we don't, and I'm like, those small stories, like, those small grassroots acts of resistance that those people were doing, you know, it's different now. We've all got phones, right? We've all got phones and our activism has completely changed. And I think highlighting those, I, I got obsessed with that last, last season. I was like stuck in the, stuck in the sixties, looking at those early activists when they finally got cameras, you know, when they finally got to be able to tell stories through those mediums, like just super Super exciting. So the thing that's the thing that keeps me going is like finding those stories and getting to talk to people who lived through those things. We think of those things as so far away, but, you know, talking to like those elders are still there and we get to put their voices on. We get to put their stories out into the world in a way that like we can't forget them. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that that's like one of the 
most exciting things about this medium is getting voices from community and stories that many people wouldn't otherwise hear unless we keep them and we're the ones who are in charge of them. It's not, you know, it's not being archived. It's not anthropologists. It's us connecting with our communities or other community and telling our stories and keeping our stories. Our voice is so important. So Natalie, what about you? Is there anything that you found particularly challenging about podcasting? I mean, I know you already talked about the consistency part, like some months, oh, you got lots of episodes, other months, eh, maybe not so much. How how do you deal with some of those challenges? Yeah, it's funny because I... I definitely, that's probably the, been the biggest one, just being consistent. And um, I think it's it's great just to have a support system that keeps asking you. Plus, some people are like, oh, when they introduce you, they're like, oh, she has a podcast too. And it's like, okay, crap, I need to like, read up, you know, make sure I have an updated episode ready. Um, and so really just um, keep it because, and you know, life happens and all of us are doing multiple things. And so it's it's hard sometimes to, to focus. But for me, it's just, you know, um, never closing the door on it and knowing mm-hmm. that like, Hey, it's, it's going to be there. And my audience is still going to be there. And, you know, I, I try to just stay positive and, and I have to just repeat what Fallon said. The imposter syndrome is super weird, like super, super imposing and super um, influential. And it's, it's really hard to to overcome that a lot, a lot of days and in, in all the kind of spaces that we feel, but I think um, podcasting is a really a great space for, for that to be, um, just for, I know for me, it's therapeutic to do, to, to have these conversations and to do this work. And even the production piece, I find um, the minimal production and editing I do, I find it to be very, um, very relaxing. And it's, you know, and it's, it's just so cool to put a product together um, and, you know, go through all the steps to put it out into the world and see that success. So just learning to love the process too of, of it and, um, and just really committing the time to it, like blocking out for me, it's blocking it out on my schedule and making sure like I have time devoted to it. And just like you would with writing or with any other kind of tasks that you have really booking the time out for it, I think is, is really important, even though it's something you do on the side, making sure you book time for that, for, for your sanity, I think it is really great. And, and yeah, just, I think also continuing to just have, um, have conversations, do things like this, where we're just having these ideas. Like I love, um, something that I know our community has talked about and Fallon, you mentioned this too, is like talking to the, the elders in our communities and preserving their voices. Like what better way to do that, um, than through podcasting. And I know, I know my tribe in specific, I know they've done even like, t- like old school, like tapes, but I'm like now, okay, now we have, can digitize all that, go back and digitize all that and, um, just create a whole library of stuff. And so, um, just thinking about the different ways to, to capture that and preserve, preserve our history. And, um, we're, you know, we're traditional oral, oral storytellers and now podcasting is just great. This is a great vehicle for us to, to capture that. Again, more good advice in your calendar, work time, gym time, podcast time. Okay, that's how we're going to get it done. Okay, and in our last couple of minutes before we head to questions, Ryan, I don't even know if you can pick one challenge. I mean, you're just so involved in it all. But is there a particular challenge for you and how do you address it? Yeah, there there are so many challenges. I feel like this needs to be a panel in and of itself because we you have decisions to make. And first and foremost, I want to say a bunch of things very quickly. Take If you're serious, take it seriously. You deserve to make money. You deserve to have sponsors. You deserve to feed yourself. You deserve to feed your producers, your editors. You can make this a business. If you want it to be and you're serious and you have an audience, 
take it seriously. You deserve that. Just as much as any uh, straight white dude in New York City talking quietly into a microphone being super interesting. Um, you deserve to eat too, first and foremost. Uh, second of all, audience. Who are you making this for? I There's a disturbing trend, and it probably started with us that were first in this space, to uh, expose and open up all of our traumas for the entire world to, to witness. And it's disturbing. Um, we should all go to therapy rather than start a podcast. So if we're coming to start a podcast to talk about how bad our life is, I would encourage everyone to rethink that. Um, it, it's, it's a very difficult space to be in uh, anyway. But when your content is heavy and your content is hard and it's, and, and it's, it's trauma-based but not trauma-informed, we're just hurting ourselves and, and hurting each other. And so it's something that is very front of mind now for me starting new projects is like, who is this for? If it's not for my community, why am I doing this? Um, and so that's one thing I want to flag. I think that's a whole other panel uh, as well. Um, the thing I'll say that is really challenging uh, for me that I've had to put a lot of thought into is how do I publish uh, and why? And so um, to Natalie's point about a publishing schedule, you know, I have a sizable audience on Red Man Laughing. I have tens, and tens of thousands of listeners um, when I'm publishing, but I can't commit to sponsors and I can't commit to Acast or Supercast or any other uh, platform that wants to help me monetize and grow because like everyone else in this panel, we're all doing other things to live and to feed ourselves and podcasting is not my full-time job yet. And so it's really hard to... Um, it's really hard to find the space and to carve out the space to really take this medium seriously. And um, and that's what I think a lot of podcasters that are serious about the space actually want. And there are very few answers. And there are very few networks out there taking risks on Indigenous stories uh, themselves. I know that there are a couple. Uh, and these are very important experiments that we need to get behind and support. Uh, I'm thinking of like Connie Walker, Rebecca Nagel, and others that are working with mainstream podcasting companies in the United States to show that, yes, there are audiences, there is a thirst and a want and a need for these stories, and they're good stories. Above all else, they're good stories. They're fascinating stories and important stories. So the monetization, the publishing schedule for me is easily the most uh, challenging piece. It's the one I struggle with the most. It's the reason why my own podcast feed has been dead for a while because um, um, I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't want to sign with sponsors and other people and then not be able to, to deliver on a deal. So um, I think the next thing I do is going to be a comedy story storytelling podcast called Best Fucking Story Ever, which is just me talking to someone and they tell me their best fucking story ever. It will not be about our trauma unless the story's traumatic. Uh, it won't exploit or weaken our people. Uh, it'll be a celebration of our lives. So, uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question. That's the best fucking idea for a podcast. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. Thank you all so much. That is such great advice. And for me, because I'm literally learning from all of you. The very first people I was watching was Rick Harp on Media Indigena and Ryan McMahon. And I'm like, how do I do what they're doing in my own way? And now I listen to the, the other two and so many others. So thank you. And I think now we're going to be joined by some ACAST members who might have some other questions from the audience for us. Hi, Tess. 
Hi. Uh, the chat is blowing up. Uh, everyone is absolutely loving all of this conversation. Pam and Ryan, looks like Lorimer is going to be reaching out to you for some guesting opportunities. So look at us, A-class is here. <laughs> Making connections and amplifying voices left and right. So right. <laughs> off to a great start. Um, our first question is for the group. It comes from Marco, an ally from Canada, who'd like to know what a non-Indigenous podcaster can do to support Indigenous podcasts. I think I saw the name Marco Timpano, which is a throwback to my early days in Toronto around Second City in the comedy space. And if that's uh, funny, Marco Timpano, uh, hello, Marco. It's been, uh, I don't know, like 15 years. It's nice to see your name. Um, oh, Marco, it is you. Good. Awesome. Um, I, you know what I love? It's very simple and I think it can happen more and more is pod swapping. Put a one minute long, um, uh, a trailer or uh, some little, uh, uh, three to five minute little taste of an indigenous show at the front of yours, in the middle of yours, or at the end of yours, use them as you would ads and, um, and just help grow shows. Um, I've done it uh, for other shows and other shows have done it for us. Uh, it was actually one of the ways that the Thunder Bay podcast in its first season really found an audience in the United States is we started doing, little swaps with other shows and uh, mentioning those shows at the front and at the end of episodes. So I think that's a really cheap, easy and fun way to a build community, to build solidarity and to amplify shows that you love. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, that's a, that's a great one. It's hard to top that, but I, I would just say to, to give feedback, um, give us, you know, download the pot, you know, even if I, I tell this, I'm like to tell all my friends, I'm like, even if you don't listen to it, just download it. And like, <laughs> you know, that, that helps. And, but yeah, but obviously you listen, but also, um, yeah, just, just share and, and give us feedback. Like, I think I tell, I, I really always encourage, um, feedback and, um, it's so rewarding when you hear encouragement encouragement or even someone that, you know, just an ideal based off something they heard from you. I think my suggestion is the very basic, like, you know, subscribe, uh, comment, rate, uh, share on social media, and then, you know, and tell people about it by word of mouth. Cause that's like, that's where I get the majority of my podcast recommendations is from people I know who listen to podcasts. Awesome. On that note, since you are kind of touching on growth and scaling up a bit with these answers. An anonymous attendee would like to know any creative ways that you haven't mentioned thus far um, about how to promote your podcast to build a following and get your voices out there. Yeah, that one's tough because I, I my my mind went to immediately social media, but that's not super creative. I mean, that's I think the the, the go to for this. But I really um, also I I rely on my guests and their net, you know, to spread it on their networks, you know, and like you, I think we sometimes underutilize that when we have guests on a podcast and have them really promote to their, they may have a whole different, different audience as well. Um, and I'm big with Fallon too, with word of mouth, just like getting people to talk about, cause if you, if you find a podcast you like, like you, you want to talk about it with other people. And so it's, I think that's um, one of the most effective ways. I think consistency in publishing is your best friend. And if you're not consistently, consistently publishing, it doesn't matter who's talking about your podcast because they're not going to listen to it if you're not publishing. So consistency in publishing, I think is, a, is, is, is the most important way to grow your show. 
in terms of being community minded, being on other podcasts is probably another very good way. Um, if you can find a way to guest on a handful of podcasts that are in a similar space to yours, or even in a completely different space, but you find some common uh, ground to uh, to sort of meet at, I think that that's another really good way. And again, you know, not all podcasts are looking for uh, guest solicitations, uh, but some are. And uh, I don't know, it was Wayne Gretzky or some other dumb hockey player that said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take or whatever. Uh, take some shots and, uh, and be, again, I think we've heard it here time and time again, um, experiment, fail, um, and just keep at it. But publishing is for sure your best way to grow your show. It would not be a panel with some Canadians without a mention of hockey. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, moving on to our next question, Andrew would like to know if you believe that you should maybe wait to book or to bank some episodes before promoting, since we've talked a little bit about, you know, some of our cringy early episodes or just, you know, get out there and start promoting straight out of the gate. I think it's, I mean, it, it can, it can go either way, right? Like if you are hyper-focused on, it's kind of like um, writing anything. If you work on your beginning forever, you'll never get to the end. And so you, as much as I'm like, yeah, have a few, have some tape, I think have your episodes banked, um, but don't just hyper-focus on that first one. Cause then you'll never get to your end and your end will be weak. Um so I think like that's my advice is have have a good idea of where you want to go, have it plotted out, have a good idea of what you want to do. Because otherwise, like if you sit on those first couple of episodes, though, it, it uh, and the process changes. Right. No matter what you do, that first episode is going to sound away because you're not you won't know you won't have found your footing yet. By the time you get to three, four five, like it'll it'll start to evolve and it will change. And I think that that's okay because podcasting feels like a very organic form, right? We get to travel with you. We get to grow with you as the listener. So I'd say know where you're going, but don't spend too much time on the top half. I think make a bunch before you even publish and and throw them in the garbage. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a craft. Um, this is craft. And and if you want to get good at editing, you have to edit. If you want to get good on talking in a, in a microphone, you have to talk into a microphone. And so for me, I'm big on craft. I know in the days of like uh, remix culture on TikTok and everything else, it's like the buttons and the AI do everything for us. But in this, uh, and shout out to Pam Palmeter's TikTok, by the way, first and foremost. We haven't even talked about Pam yet. Because um, <laughs> uh, Pam uh, deserves a lot of credit uh, for the work you're doing too in the space, Pam. It's very inspiring. I don't know how you find the time. You're talking about our time. You put more work into it than anyone. So congrats on that. Um, but uh, it's craft, right? And so find a way to make a bunch of work and throw it out and just keep making. Uh, if you walk around in your morning walk with a recorder and just go record the water, the birds, the trees, the wind, talk into it, go home, cut something that's two minutes long, throw it in the garbage and keep at it. Um, and, and by the time it comes time to publish, you'll feel confident about your work. We are running out of time. I know that we haven't answered every one of the questions that have come through. Bernard, I see you. You are on our list. We will follow up with answers to all of your questions. Uh, we've got some from some anonymous attendees as well. Um, and Derek, I can call you out uh, right away because I know that your question is about best platforms to launch on. And I may be biased as an agent, as an employee, but 
Um, stay tuned. We'll be talking about some codes and deals. Um, it's not the only place to host, but it is a wonderful place. So I will turn it back over to Pam now and take it home. <laughs> Thanks, Tess. And that's a wrap, folks. I mean, time really flies when you're engaged in good combos with awesome people. And I'm with Ryan. Let's have more of these and have longer sessions on all of these topics, because I think it's good just for all of us to learn from one another. And thanks for the good mm -hmm. words, Ryan. And thank you to Ryan, Phelan, and Natalie for all of your insights and experiences. I'm sure everybody learned a lot. I was reading the chats and the comments and everyone was just loving what you were saying. And don't forget to check out ACAST's other A-class events because they have been featuring Black voices, Latinx voices, queer voices, all the groups that we work with in solidarity. So help support them. And they put together a special promo code for anyone who wants to have a home for their new and aspiring podcast. And the code is A-class capital A-C-L-A-S-S, -S, for six months of free hosting for any of the plans that you choose to sign up for. Thank you, everyone. Voila, Lynn. I've, I've just enjoyed this so much. And thank you to all of the audience. We're going to sign out now because stay tuned for panel number two with Nick Estes. That's going to be a good conversation. See you, everybody. Wasn't that awesome? I just loved that. Thank you to all of our podcast listeners for tuning into the Warrior Life podcast. I'll post links to where you can watch A-Class Indigenous Voices on YouTube on ACAST's YouTube channel. I'll also post a link to ACAST's website in case you too want to start a podcast. And don't forget to support Indigenous content creators. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliug. Well, <laughs>